Hello there, and welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. That's basically all you need to know about the podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, then welcome. If you've been with us since the beginning, then welcome back, because we're now on series three of the podcast, and we're about to start our third story, which I promised would be a gay story, having had a lesbian story to begin with, with Lesbian Slave Island by Fit and Trim, and then a heterosexual story by a dirty old man in PHX1. I thought it was only fair that we have a gay story, that is, a story between homosexual men. As usual, I haven't read this story ahead of time. I don't read the stories ahead of time. I really like to read it aloud for the first time to you guys, so that you get my genuine first reaction to it in the second part of the podcast, where I give a little bit of insight into some of my thoughts and feelings about what I've just read. However, I have spent a little bit of time picking a story It was a difficult one to pick, I think. Maybe that's something to do with the way that I select my stories, the way I find them. I tend to, in fact, I don't just tend to, I do it kind of as a rule, I suppose, uh, or at least I have done so far. The way I do it is I go onto literotica.com and I go on their random author generator. And that gives you a page of 10 or so randomly selected authors. And so you dredge up some stuff that perhaps has been buried and... I like this podcast in a way to be a little bit of a celebration of some of the work that probably is going unnoticed and slipping a little bit under the radar of most of the erotic literature community, perhaps. So that's why I like to do that. And what I was finding in searching for a story for series three was that a lot of the stories were pretty pedestrian and quite, I don't want to say boring necessarily, but they tended to follow very similar themes. And I was looking for a story that wasn't just about two men having sex. And I also didn't want a story that was too controversial in some of its themes. I think maybe we fell into a bit of a trap in the last series with The Country Cottage where things got very taboo. And there's a lot of taboo stuff that I found that I felt like we maybe needed a break from for a series or so. And even though I wanted a kind of WTF factor to the story, I didn't necessarily want it to be an unsavoury WTF. I wanted it to be a surprising or perhaps unusual type of WTF, if you get what I'm trying to say. With that in mind, there were a couple of stories which made a kind of short list. And it's, it's hard to make a short list of stories without having read them. Literally all I do is just give the story a quick scan. And there were a couple that didn't make the cut just because I could see from looking at the the very end and some of the comments at the end of the last chapter of these stories that it was unconcluded. And I didn't want that for season three. I felt like that was disappointing in Lesbian Slave Island where we didn't really get a satisfying conclusion. Things just stopped where the author had stopped writing at chapter 18, and there was clearly much more that was planned to happen that hadn't been written yet. So I didn't want to fall into that trap. I wanted a story that was completed in its entirety. And so it was quite hard to find something that ticked all those boxes. However, I think I've done it. I think I've found a story which hopefully checks all the boxes. As I said, I haven't read it in its entirety. I've just scanned it. 
I've looked at some of the comments on various chapters to get a feel of how it's been received, and I'd like to announce that the story I'll be reading for Series 3 is called The Wings of Grey by an author called Gweel. That's Gweel with a G. G-W-E-A-L-L. So if you want to find this story for yourself, maybe read along if that's something that you are in the habit of doing, then you can find Gweel's stories by searching for them on literotica.com. And they've actually got a few different series here. They've got one, two, three. They've got 15 different series under their alias on Literotica. And so they're a well-established author mostly working between the years 2011 and 2015. So it's a few years ago. And these are all gay male stories. So if this story is something you enjoy, then there's plenty there in their back catalogue to get stuck into if you want to do that. Wings of Grey is a six-part story, similar to The Country Cottage, which was also six parts. And there's also a secret seventh episode, which has an alternative ending. So that's fun, and we'll certainly have the alternative ending as a bit of a bonus episode once we get to the end of this series. Six out of seven of the chapters in this story are labelled with a H for hot, which I think is a good sign. That's just another reason why I thought it was good to choose this story for series three. But the main standout factor for my decision to choose this story is that this is not your typical piece of man-on-man homosexual literature. This is a love story set amidst a world dealing with a terrible disease which causes mutations amongst the people who contract it. And although many people survive their encounter with this disease, those that do survive are marred by strange mutations which alter the physiology of their body, turning them into grotesque and perhaps beautiful mutants, which I thought was a really great WTF factor. Anyway, that's a little bit of an introduction of the story. I want to say thank you for joining me on this new adventure, and I really hope you enjoy it. To those of you who are returning listeners, I want to say thank you so much for deciding to tune in for Series 3. The reception to this podcast has been beyond even my wildest dreams. I'm speaking to you now from the past, I suppose. At the time of speaking... Chapter 10 of Lesbian Slave Island has just been released, and the podcast has already hit the landmark which I set as kind of a moonshot goal for this podcast. It's had a thousand downloads. I never thought that would happen, and I never expected it to be as popular as it has been, even though I'm sure that that level of popularity is relatively small in terms of the whole podosphere, the world of podcasts, to me, getting a thousand downloads at this point is an achievement I never expected to happen. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for everyone who's rated the podcast, who's liked it, and who's left a review, and for sharing it with people who you think might also like it. And I want to say how excited I am to continue reading to you It really does mean a lot to me that people are listening to the podcast and presumably enjoying it. So, thank you. But anyway, let's get back to it. As you know, there's nothing I love more than to go through the statistics of a story before I dive in. Wings of Grey, Chapter 1, subtitle, The New Kid is Different, has 2.6 thousand words, 
It's got a 4.56 star rating out of 5. It is a H for Hot chapter. It's had 36.6 thousand readers, and 50 of them liked it, which is actually a pretty good ratio. We don't often see a ratio that high. That's one in every 732 people, or approximately 0.137% of people. And there are 15 comments to enjoy at the end. That's another reason I like this story. Good amount of commenters throughout. A quick note also on the time frame in which this story was released. It was released in very quick succession throughout March of 2011, and all six chapters of this story came out within 13 days of the first one being posted, so thick and fast chapters, which I think is a good sign for a story. With those factoids faithfully reported, please sit back and enjoy chapter one of Wings of Grey. Quiet down. We have a new student joining us tomorrow. I have to give you all a warning since he is infected, Mrs. Travers informed her class. Mike rolled his eyes at his teacher. He knew she was bad, but she could have at least tried to keep the disgust out of her voice when she talked about an infected person. Mike remembered when the disease was first discovered, how people swarmed the hospitals to get tested if they were vulnerable to it. Only a few people could be infected by the disease. The survival rate was very low. It caused massive fevers that would usually kill the person before it progressed any further. The organs would shut down slowly. It was supposed to be excruciating. That was before any of the changes happened. If he survived the fever and the organ failure, then came the mutations. Some were physically deformed, growing odd limbs or losing some. Sometimes things that didn't even belong on a human. Gills, wings, tails, you name it. Scientists had figured out that many times infected would take on the appearance of animals they'd spent time around, but not always. Sometimes the mutations wouldn't form correctly, and you would die from that. So the odds of surviving with a mutation that still allowed you to function was low, but still possible. The ones that did survive the sickness and mutations were put in camps. The public was frightened by them. Some went through emotional changes that made them hostile, an empty shell of the person they had been. People started defending themselves from the mutated survivors. Defending meaning going after innocent people. He remembered the news reports of massacres against the infected. Soon they were all rounded up and put in camps to keep them away from the public, for both their safety and the citizens. It was only supposed to be temporary, but it ended up lasting 13 years. 
Mike remembered his neighbour was infected when he was five. He remembered soldiers pulling her from her home and restraining her before throwing her into the back of a car to send her to a camp. Those who were in the camps were treated poorly, abused and fed things that farm animals wouldn't eat. He winced as he recalled an article that he'd read for his ethics class. The camps were only shut down a couple of months ago, and people were still adjusting to the infected, getting jobs and going to school, or out in public. Many people were still very hostile and cruel to them. Some infected could hardly get jobs because so many people wouldn't hire them. Public schools had to accept them, or they could be sued, but they made it obvious they were not welcome. Many infected decided to be homeschooled or work from home, rather than face the wrath of those who still hated them for no reason. The bell rang, interrupting Mike's thoughts. The homework is on the board. It's due at the beginning of class tomorrow, Mrs Travers said, before her students left quickly. Glad to be out of school, Mike headed towards his football practice. Hey, so what do you think about that? Mike's friend Ethan said as he jogged up to him. What? Mike asked. About an infected being here, Ethan said. I think he or she has as much a right to be here as any of us do. Mike glared at the ground. Seriously? Ethan looked shocked at him. Yeah, don't you? Mike said, surprised. He was surprised one of his friends would be so prejudiced against someone because they had the unfortunate luck of getting sick. Well, I mean, come on, dude, look at them, Ethan laughed. Mike stopped walking and looked at him. He scoffed before continuing to walk on. You're an ass, Mike said. What? Come on, it's not that big a deal, Ethan said, catching up to Mike as he quickened his pace. No big deal, Mike said. That's like hating me because I'm gay. That's different, Ethan said. How so? Mike asked. Because it's not your fault you're gay. You're born that way, Ethan said, shrugging. And it's their fault they got sick, Mike said, as he opened his gym locker to get dressed. Well, no, but I don't know. I just don't want them hanging around me. What if I catch something? Ethan shivered as he pulled on his jersey. It's not contagious and you know that, Mike glared. Well, you never know, right? Whatever, Mike said, before storming out of the locker room and onto the field. Mike sat down in his usual seat in Mrs Travers' class. He had to admit he was kind of excited about seeing the new kid. He'd never actually seen a fully changed infected person before. His neighbour had only slightly green, rough skin. He remembered her having a pet snake. The bell rang and Mrs. Travers walked into the room. Still, no sign of the new kid. Get out your homework and pass it up, she said, as she sat down at her desk to take roll. Mike took out his homework and passed it to the girl sitting in front of him. He sat, waiting, wondering where the new kid was. He sat up straight when a boy he had never seen walked into the room. He wore a sleeveless shirt that was a pale grey. He was somewhat short, with black hair that looked very soft. He had a thin frame, and his hips were narrow. He was actually beautiful, but none of these were the first thing Mike noticed. The first thing he noticed were the large, grey, feathered wings that were folded neatly on his back. They ruffled slightly as he walked towards Mrs Travers' desk. He handed her a note that she glanced at before throwing it in the trash and standing. Class, this is... she trailed off. She hadn't really read the name on the note. The boy looked up, and Mike noticed the bright orange eyes with large pupils. Alex, he said, in a light voice. Alex, have a seat anywhere, Mrs Travers said, looking him up and down before turning to write something on the board. Alex stood awkwardly at the front of the room for a moment. Several people with empty seats next to them looked away or made it seem like they were busy writing. He saw Alex swallow nervously before they made eye contact. Mike smiled and nodded his head at the empty seat to his right. Alex's lips curved into a small smile. He walked to the aisle until he reached the empty seat. Mike saw him flex his wings closer to his back before he sat. 
who looked uncomfortable with his wings pushing against the back of the chair. He had to lean forward slightly to make room for them. Hey, I'm Mike, he said, and held out a hand to Alex. The smaller boy hesitated a second before putting his hand out. It was then that Mike noticed the pale hands had a very small patch of grey feathers near the wrist. He took the hand anyway and shook it. Alex smiled. Alex, he introduced himself again, this time specifically to Mike. Nice to meet you. And don't worry about Travers. She's a bitch to everyone, not just you, Mike whispered. Alex gave a small squawk that Mike assumed was a laugh. I'm just glad I could find someone who didn't want to set me on fire the first five minutes they met me. Alex blushed and looked down at his desk. Ha! <laughs> don't worry about me. No fire setting here, Mike joked. Alex smiled before looking up at the board. Mike and Alex had the next two classes together, and the second one they had with Ethan too. Mike was worried about how they would get along, but was hoping Ethan could at least behave himself and not hurt Alex's feelings. Hey, look, before we go in, I want to let you know that we have this class with my friend Ethan. Mike stopped Alex before they stepped into the classroom. Okay. Alex turned his head like he didn't understand. Mike saw a lot of bird features that were hard to find, like the way he turned his head. Well, I don't exactly know how he's going to react to you being... Well, um... Mike trailed off, not knowing how Alex would react. Infected? Don't be freaked out to say the truth. And it's fine. I've had tons of different reactions. I'm pretty much ready for anything he has to throw at me, literally and figuratively, Alex said, giving a small smile. Okay, Mike said, and smiled back. They stepped into the room, and Mike found his usual spot next to Ethan open, and a seat in front. Mike pointed, and Alex turned to look. They headed over towards the seats, and Mike saw Ethan give a scowl to Alex, but Alex didn't seem phased by it. Hey, this is Alex, Mike said, glaring at Ethan when Alex couldn't see. Hey, Ethan said shortly. Hi, Alex said, giving a warm smile. Don't be an ass, Mike mouthed towards Ethan. He rolled his eyes and glared at the back of Alex's head. They all turned, and listened as the teacher started talking. The bell rang, signalling the end of class and the beginning of lunch. You want to eat with us? Mike asked as they packed their stuff into their backpacks. I don't know, I wouldn't want to intrude, Alex said, looking at Ethan, who was making it obvious that Alex wasn't welcome. See, he doesn't want to intrude. Come on, I'm starving. Ethan grabbed Mike's arm. Dude, don't be a dick, Mike glared at Ethan. You wouldn't be intruding, he smiled at Alex. I don't know... Alex knew Ethan still didn't want him there. Please? Mike wasn't above begging. Okay, Alex smiled and walked down the hallway. They sat at Ethan and Mike's usual table. Mike pulled out his lunch and began eating the sandwich he'd made that morning. Ethan was eating some cold pizza he'd had for dinner the night before. Alex pulled out a small Ziploc bag filled with what looked like beef jerky. Do I want to know what that is? Mike wrinkled his nose at the stuff. Alex laughed. It's rabbit. I have the stomach of a bird too, he said. So you can't eat anything other than a bunny? Mike asked. No, I can eat rabbits, grouse, ducks, insects, lemmings and some other small mammals. But do any of those sound more appetising than bunnies? Alex smiled. Duck? Mike pointed out. I eat duck too, sometimes. It's creepy eating something that looks a lot like you though, Alex laughed. Touché, Mike winced. What the hell are you anyways? Ethan asked, joining in the conversation. Mike was about to smack him and tell him to stop being an asshole, but Alex didn't seem bothered. I'm a northern goshawk, Alex said, and took another bite of the jerky. I'm no bird expert, but I don't think those are common household pets. Are you one of the ones that get the random mutations? Mike asked. No, my dad worked at an endangered species park. A lot of the time he was working with goshawks. 
I remember him coming home with feathers all over him all the time, so I wasn't surprised when I sprouted a few myself. Alex laughed and flexed his wings. That's kind of cool. At least you didn't get talons, right? My neighbour got stuck with a snake, Mike winced. That's gotta suck. One of my friends at the camp was a fish. They had to keep him in a huge glass tank because his lungs didn't work anymore. And I'm definitely thankful for being talonless. Can't imagine what that would be like. I have enough trouble with my wings, Alex said. Whoa, you were in the camps? Mike asked, surprised. Yeah, I was six when they put us in the camps. My dad was too, but he didn't survive the change. Alex looked sad. I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to. Mike trailed off. It's okay. He died a while ago, Alex said, and gave a small smile. What was he? Ethan asked. Dude, Mike began, before Alex cut him off. It's okay. The fever killed him. He didn't get any mutations before he died. Ethan just grunted and turned back to his pizza. The bell rang, and they stood and threw their trash away before walking to their next class. Mike had P.E. next, but Alex didn't have to take P.E., since the school thought it would disturb the other students, so he went to a separate class, like a study hall. The class after P.E. they didn't have together, but Mike had it with Ethan. They sat down in their normal spot. Hey, Mike said, as he put his backpack on the floor. What was up with that? Ethan turned and looked at him. What? Mike asked. You know what? Inviting Bird Boy to eat with us, Ethan said. I don't have a problem with him being infected. I'm the only friend he's got here, and I'm not going to tell him to piss off just because my other friend is a prejudiced asshole. Mike growled. Whatever, Ethan said, before turning back to the front of the room. If you've got a problem with him, then you can just hang out with someone else. If not, then be nicer to him, Mike said. Whatever. You just want to fuck him, Ethan sneered. What? No, I don't, Mike frowned at Ethan, and turned to the front of the class. Ethan turned to face Mike now. You so do. You just want a tight piece of ass, and I don't care if you get rabies in the process. Ethan rolled his eyes. Shut your fucking mouth. Alex is a nice guy, and I'm not going to let you talk about him like that. Mike clenched his fists on his desk. They itched to punch Ethan's sneer off his face. Whatever, dude. Ethan turned back to the front of the room. School ended, and Mike was climbing into the car his dad let him borrow. Mike! He turned to where he heard his name being called, and saw Alex running towards him. His wings spread back slightly as he ran. He jumped over a parking block, and flapped his large wings a couple of times, giving him slightly more lift. It occurred to Mike then that he didn't know if Alex could actually fly. Hey, I was hoping to catch you before you left, Alex said as he finally reached Mike. I'm glad you did. Hey, I've just realised I never asked you. Can you actually fly? Mike asked. What? Oh, no, but I can hover a bit. Not very long, though, Alex shrugged. Still cool, Mike smiled. Ha, thanks. So, I was wondering if maybe this weekend you wanted to hang out? We could go and see a movie or something? Alex asked, blushing slightly. He ruffled his feathers. Mike noticed he did that when he got nervous. Sure, sounds like fun, Mike smiled. Really? Cool. Here's my number, Alex said, and handed him a slip of paper with his phone number on it. I'll call you, said Mike as he put the number in his pocket and watched Alex walk away. God damn, he has the cutest ass, Mike thought to himself as he got in the car and drove towards home. To be continued. Don't worry, it's okay. I am a bird of prey. I am a bird who's gay. I've got wings of grey. There we go. Chapter 1 of Wings of Grey, In the Bag. It's kind of a teen drama, isn't it? 
Reminds me of one of those American high school dramas like One Tree Hill or The O.C., except for the whole disease mutations angle, which I guess makes it a little bit like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or or maybe like a bit of a Twilight vibe to it. I think there's a clear subtext to this, which is maybe a little bit on the nose. It's like not that sub of a text. It's kind of blatant because there's clearly a parallel to be drawn between the prejudice that often people who identify as homosexual face and the prejudice that the diseased mutants face in this world. Although I do wonder whether that's a little bit of an insulting comparison that's being made here. I guess there is a reality that many people who discover they have attraction to the same gender sometimes feel a little bit like they're a freak or that the difference in their sexual preference in a reality where most people are heterosexual singles them out as in some way unnatural. I guess it's a little bit of an old-fashioned view in this day and age, but I think we've got to bear in mind that this story was written in 2011, although even then I think that was probably a bit of an outdated view for that time even. I guess there's also a parallel there in the way that people who are homophobic will sometimes view different expressions of sexuality, whether that's lesbian, bisexual, or gay, as some kind of infectious disease that they might catch if they spend too much time around somebody whose sexuality is part of their identity. But I'm tempted to say that that kind of attitude and those kind of expressions of prejudice are something that perhaps we've moved on from a little bit in society, or or at least hopefully we've moved on from. I think it's really appropriate in a way that this story is set in a school setting, because I have to say that's very much the kind of attitude that I felt was really prevalent in school. I was a teenager in the mid-noughties, and at that time there was very much a culture, or a climate at least in my school, of demonising people who were suspected of being gay, and also of viewing homosexuality as some kind of infectious disease which could be passed on and you might catch it by being associated with someone whose sexuality was called into question. As someone who personally finds their sexuality a very confusing thing and sort of eventually comes to a bit of an uncomfortable conclusion that they're basically bi, maybe? I can identify with that feeling of people around you viewing you as if you are some kind of strange aberration. So maybe it's a little bit on the nose, but I think there is a a strange truth there. And even though characters like Ethan accept that Mike is gay, and that's fine, I wonder if the way in which people broadly react to the mutations of the diseased in this story stand in for the kind of attitudes and prejudice that people from the gay community have been subject to. And I wonder if in 2011, when this story was written, that kind of prejudice is still there in maybe the background of life, even if it's not necessarily outwardly expressed like it was in my childhood in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that's why there's this extra metaphoric conceit of there being actually physically deformed people with all of these strange mutations is appearing in a way to represent or to talk about some of the feelings in an overt way which are going on beneath the surface of what could be politely said at that time. I guess in a way, if you live in a world where it's broadly accepted that homosexuality is accepted and, you know, everybody 
acts like it is on the surface, but then you encounter these covert prejudices that are small scale, just beneath the surface, but definitely have an effect on the way you feel about yourself, even if it's not the kind of overt homophobia of the 90s and even before that. Maybe there's a sense in which it's tough to talk about feeling that prejudice and hard to write about it, because even though it's there, it's not so in your face. So maybe adding this physical mutations disease element to the story is a way of talking about some of the feelings that that covert prejudice brings up by using a metaphor of a similar overt prejudice as a kind of stand-in for that issue. I think there's definitely some serious subcontext there, which is a really interesting element to this story. I wonder how old the characters are supposed to be in this story. I mean, they're at school, but that doesn't mean they're not 18. I guess if we do the maths here, Alex was six when he was taken to the camps. The camps lasted for 13 years, it says. So what does that make him? 19, perhaps? Maybe he got held back a year. It's interesting that we only see things from a couple of perspectives in this story. We get the mutant racist teacher, Mrs. Travers, who's clearly got some deep mutant prejudice within her, very dismissive. And we've got Ethan, who, in quite a teenage way, I think, is quite confident in his prejudice, but then doesn't really feel it strong enough to get up and leave or to be directly hostile to Alex. I'm already beginning to picture Ethan as a kind of teenage incel edgelord who downloads all of his opinions from the internet, from the deep, dark, digital corridors of the online forum zones. So I wonder which direction we'll see that take. I wonder if Ethan will become an ally of the mutants over time, will learn to accept Alex for who he is, or whether he'll go the other way, whether he'll turn into the big villain in this story the foil driving Mike and Alex apart. Having said all that stuff about what the mutation disease may represent, I do think it is, on its face, quite a funny (laughs) premise for a story that there's a disease that turns people into the animals that they most closely associate with in life. And not even from a sharing similar characteristics point of view. You might say that some people are shy like a mouse, or wise like an owl, fierce like a tiger. In another potential world, maybe there's a disease that would turn people into the animals that represent their characters. I guess a bit like that Animorphs book series, the young adult books about the children who can turn into animals at will. I don't think I've ever read one of those, but I saw them around and about when I was a young adult slash teen. And from what I could gather, they're a team of transforming children who go about solving various mysteries and take it upon themselves to right the wrongs that they see around them. But it's interesting that it's not like that. It's actually just to do with the proximity to animals. So the more you hang out with an animal the more likely you are to turn into that animal. I wonder if there's something about the people who didn't mutate, who just died from the fever. Maybe they didn't hang out with a consistent enough type of animal. Maybe there was just too much conflicting information for them to take on a a mutated form. You have to be an animal specialist in order to transform successfully. I guess there's plenty of questions to ask about the law and rules behind (laughs) the disease that maybe we'll learn about as we go along. Maybe they'll be left as a mystery for us to try and tease out through contextual clues.
I think it's interesting that this is a story set in the third person, which we haven't had before. We've always had first-person narratives directly looking out of the point of view of the characters, which creates some interesting details and provokes a few questions, at least in my mind. For instance, in the first time we hear Alex described, it's by the omniscient narrator. He wore a sleeveless shirt. He was somewhat short, he had black hair that looked very soft, he had a thin frame with narrow hips, and he was actually beautiful. Which is a strange thing to put in there, because I guess it implies a kind of objective beauty that exists even outside of the eye of the beholder. Because we get that description in a certain order, and then we learn in the next sentence that none of those things were the first thing that Mike noticed. The first thing was the grey feathers. And so there's a weird crossover between the narrator and Mike. Is Alex actually objectively beautiful, or is the narrator speaking on behalf of Mike? Is it Mike that finds him actually beautiful? And is there a sense maybe that Mike finds him beautiful, but doesn't necessarily know it yet? And the narrator has access to a clearer view on objective reality than the characters in the story do. Which is an interesting thought, I think, because it calls into question how much we should trust this narrator. Are they reliable? When Alex stands awkwardly in front of the room for a moment, how do we know that Alex is really feeling awkward? Maybe it just seems that way from where the narrator's standing. Because actually, I think that Alex comes across as pretty brave. Mike and Ethan's friendship, though, is kind of weird. I almost can't understand why they're friends. It's almost like Mike knows that Ethan is not a good guy. <laughs> He's kind of an asshole. He's naturally judgmental of anyone who's different than him. And he doesn't trust him to be polite or to have his back when he floats the idea of being a friend to Alex. But again, maybe that's a teenage thing that has to do with the setting of this during school days. I feel like it's maybe quite common for people to have friendships at school with people who are not necessarily that nice to them or who have pretty different values and sensibilities, purely just because of the pressure of a school environment. It's a bit of a goldfish bowl, isn't it, from what I remember? And I think that does tend to lead to relationships and social circles which are inherently dysfunctional, and maybe that's what we're seeing here. It seems funny in a way that Ethan is so upset that Mike is interested in Alex. He sneers at him for wanting to have sex with somebody who he's attracted to. <laughs> and that seems very petty, I think. <laughs> I wonder if there's maybe some jealousy within Ethan that he's worried that Alex is going to come in and replace him as Mike's go-to companion. I wonder how Mike would react if the tables were turned. There'd been a new girl come into the class who Ethan was interested in getting to know. I wonder if Mike would be quite as resentful. But it's definitely heated between them. There's a kind of aggression going on under the surface that's... It's barely under the surface, really. When Mike tells Ethan to shut his fucking mouth, he's there clenching his fists on the desk, ready to punch Ethan in the face. <laughs> in fact, his fists are itching to punch him. <laughs> which seems incredibly intense. I think that's the kind of intensity that you only really get in a teenage friendship. Because I think as an adult, if you have all these feelings about somebody in your life, they have different values to you, they don't have your back when you ask them to support you, they're resentful of you doing things that you want to do, 
and they say really quite mean and aggressive things to try and push your buttons to the point where you feel violent towards them. I think as an adult, most of us would just cut that person out of our lives. I don't think that person would remain a friend for very long and you'd just avoid that person. But as a teenager in school, you're forced together. There's no escape. It doesn't really sound like Mike has a lot of other friends. Maybe Ethan's all he's got. At least though this chapter seemed to have kind of a happy ending. We've set the scene and we've had the introduction of Alex and it ends on a little flirtatious invitation to maybe go on a one-on-one date, sounds like. And by this time, Mike has realised for himself what the narrator was getting at earlier, that there's something about Alex that's quite alluring, even if he expresses it in quite a teenage way, (laughs) by saying, God damn, he has the cutest ass. (laughs) Oh, and then he gets in the car and drives home. So I guess he's at least old enough to drive. So I guess, I don't know how old you have to be to drive in America, where I'm assuming this is set. I guess maybe it varies state to state. But I guess in Britain you have to be at least 16, which in Britain is above the age of legal consent. So as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing untoward (laughs) about the legality of this scenario. I'm sensing that it's a bit of a slow burner. I think that's probably a good thing as it's a story set during, I guess, the latter years of school days. It would be a bit unrealistic if everybody was jumping straight into bed on day one. That's not how it is as a teenager, is it? It's a big, scary thing to have sex with somebody for the first time. It takes quite a bit of reassurance and gradual exploration to getting to something as serious as that when you're at that age. And I think that's the way it should be. I wonder how experienced these characters are, whether they've done it before or whether this is going to be their first romance. And I wonder what it'll be like if it is Mike's first romance, for him to have that with somebody who has a non-standard bodily configuration. I guess I guess we don't know what's going on down there amidst the feathers of the nether region. I don't know if birds have penises or vaginas. Let's do a quick Google. He said he was a goshawk. So let's have a little Google of goshawk. Oh, wow. Having a look at a goshawk now online. It's a sort of falcon-type bird. It's a medium to large-sized bird of prey in the Asipidridae family, which also includes other extant dinural raptors, such as eagles, buzzards, and harriers. The goshawk is often considered a true hawk. It says here that it eats mostly squirrel, That's not something that was mentioned as part of Alex's diet. Although I guess that is covered by and some small mammals, along with lemmings, insects, ducks, grouse, and rabbit. (laughs) Kind of weird that they talk about um, the rabbits as bunnies. That makes it a little bit more visceral and grotesque to refer to them as bunnies. Cute, fluffy, little, happy, innocent way of referring to a rabbit. You don't want to think of eating a bunny, do you? But let's let's go down the, the rabbit hole here and goshawk genitalia. Ooh, this might be hard to... Let's try goshawk breeding. See if that gives us any results. Okay, how do goshawks breed? The goshawk's nest is built close to the trunk of a tree and reused for several years. Females stay in the nest while males hunt for food. Okay, but that doesn't give us an idea of what the practicalities of goshawk mating involves. 
we're going to have to go a little deeper down the rabbit hole here. Do goshawks have a penis? Question mark. Oh, here we go. Bad news, guys. Most birds have no penis. But there are exceptions. Several species of duck, geese and swans have an organ like a human penis. <laughs> like a human penis. That's a bit of a disturbing image, isn't it? A duck with a human penis. Many birds copulate quickly, only for a second or two, a cloacal kiss that effectively transfers sperm. So perhaps Mike is going to be in for a bit of a surprise. He may find that there's a bit of a cloaca to deal with down there, rather than the usually expected apparatus. Here's a bit of good news, though. While some birds copulate just once, achieving fertilization in one quick go, goshawks couple as many as 600 times for a single clutch of eggs. So even though the sex might not be what Alex was perhaps expecting, there is at least going to be a lot of it. So we'll see how they get on with that in possibly the next episode. Certainly, I hope by the end of the story, we'll, we'll get into that. Maybe that's a part of Alex that conveniently didn't mutate. Well, I guess we'll have to see. As I mentioned earlier, before the story, there are 15 comments for this chapter. So let's dive straight into those. First comment here is from Commitment Isn't My Thing, and they say the real question is, how did Ethan notice before Mike? I guess that's in reference to Ethan's accusation that Mike wants to have sex with Alex. But you know what? I think sometimes <laughs> the people around you are a little bit more clued in than perhaps you are about who you fancy and what you're feeling. You might think you're being coy or keeping your cards close to your chest in having a crush on someone, but to everyone else around you, it's pretty obvious. So maybe that's what was going on there. And actually, maybe Ethan has done Mike a favour there by calling it out and drawing his attention towards the attraction, which is pretty obvious to any casual observer. There's nothing worse, is there, than finding out a long time after the fact that something could have happened between you and somebody, but you didn't realise it and you missed your chance. And even worse, when you find out that everybody else knew what was going on and you were completely clueless. That's one of the great tragedies, I think, in life. There's an anonymous commenter here who is chiming in with a little bit of an English lesson. They say, please, before anything else, make sure you get your and your correct. It's incredibly frustrating trying to read a story where these are swapped around. Your means belonging to you, the same way our means belonging to us. Your means you are, the same as we're means we are. The apostrophe stands in place of missing letters or words in some cases. If you're American, you may pronounce your as your, but that does not mean you spell it that way. <laughs> okay, all right. It's funny that someone who's an anonymous commenter would care that much to give a condescending lesson like that. But clearly it has been heeded because there weren't any of those errors when I was reading the story. So I think actually Gwiel has probably gone back and corrected those errors. So perhaps it was a helpful comment to have made. Another anonymous comment just says, Love this story. You're a good writer. Keep up the good job. That's always nice to hear. By Kalisan says, very nice start. I like what you're doing so far. Winky face. Uritom says, I read the first paragraph and was instantly hooked. Hot Lover 69 says simply, loved it. Kazihana 552 says, I love your ideas. They're original and add something new. 
Sun Silk Water says, nice, big smiley face. I love the originality of this so far. Another big smiley face. Looking forward to reading more from you. Contest for Jen says, very excited to see where this story goes. So much potential. I'm anxious to see all the twists and turns that I know are coming. Cheers, big smiley face. Talismania says, creative, exclamation mark. I'm loving this creative twist on the world and watching how your characters deal with the changes. Your characters feel real and I can hear them speak. Nice. Couple of anonymous people now. One of them says, finally a story with original ideas, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Don't get these very often these days. Love it. Another anonymous says, very interesting. Nice start to the story. Definitely one of a kind. Alexandra36 says, cool exclamation mark very different and extremely cool it's a nice beginning and can't wait for it to build up (laughs) let me guess ethan's going to set alex on fire oh god i hope not that'd be so mean all caps lol (laughs) enjoyed it cool second story cheers smiley face yeah I, i hope that alex doesn't get set on fire as well that would be a horrible thing to happen although it has kind of been foreshadowed no more tears zero zero says oh man dot 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 looks like this is going to be really cool very neat idea so those were the comments there's also a bonus little comment here from the author themselves from Gwil, who says wow i'll admit i'm kind of surprised how excited people are for this story haha <laughs> i do have a new editor and she edits a ton faster i forgot to mention her and for that i'm really sorry thanks my fantastic editor The next one has been submitted for a couple of days, so it should be up tomorrow. Enjoy, smiley face. So there we are. Those are some of the characters who perhaps will be following along with us as we read the chapters of this story. I gathered from Alexandra36's comment that this is the second story from Gwiel. So I guess they wrote one story which went down pretty well and gained them some fans. And this is a new story following on from that success so this is the second story that they posted so if you're interested in reading their first story Gwiel's first story uh, you can do that by searching for Gwiel on literotica.com search for them as an author it's Gwiel spelt g-w-e-a-l-l they've got 79 stories although that's really 79 chapters on their profile So if you want to check some of those other stories out and read some of the other chapters, then that's the information to do that. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you're excited for chapter two, which will be coming up very shortly, then please like and rate and subscribe. Maybe leave a little review if you're able to do that. Thanks again for tuning in. And I'll leave you with the new theme tune for series three. I've been working hard to try and make the theme tunes for this podcast. That's always a good little bit of fun. So as that fades in, I'll wish you a very pleasant week and goodbye. Don't worry, it's okay. I am a bird of prey. I am a bird who's gay. I've got wings. I get distracted.
Alex laughed. It's rabbit. I have the stomach of a bird, too. 